That was good, wasn't it? Let's turn to Obadiah and let's go ahead and stand and we'll read God's word. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Bill being able to come this morning and share about the work that you're doing using your word exactly as you promised you would. It does not return void. It is a sword that you use time and time again to slay the hearts of men so that they bow down and worship you, Lord. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for using your word in our lives, for convicting us, for rebuking us, for encouraging us, for building us up, Lord. May each one of us willingly bend the knee towards you. Lord, bless us now as we look into your word. Bless our children as they're back uh, being taught about your word as well. And uh, God, give us hearts to hear from you. Give us hearts to receive your truth this morning for your glory. Amen. So we've been going through the book of Obadiah uh, for the last few weeks, and we're continuing on today. A couple weeks ago, we talked about pride, and we're going to keep talking about pride today because that's the the section that we're dealing with, primarily verses 3 and 4. If you remember last time, we discussed how God's going to bring down the Edomites because of their pride. And he tells them specifically that they are prideful. And he also lets them know that their pride has done something to them. What has it done to them? It has deceived them. So they think they are secure, but they are not. And he's going to punish them and humble them. In verse 3, it says, who will bring me down to the ground? Basically, Edom is saying like, hey, who's going to conquer us? Who could possibly conquer us in the physical position that we currently are at because of the fortresses and the, and the crags and the rocks and, and the, the way that the, the land of Edom is laid out? It was basically very hard for any army to try to conquer Edom. So they took, they took pride in how they were located physically. Primarily, the three main cities of Selah, Teman, and Bozra had these high rock formations and very narrow gorges that made it hard. You know, if you're, if you're going to bring an army, I mean, you're going to bring a large army if you're going to go to battle, right? As large as you can get. Um, but if the pass is, is so narrow that only two or three can get to, through at a time, uh, it's pretty easy to defend the pass, right? So they took pride in their physical um, position. But God is all-powerful, Right? And he can reach them and punish them even in their high position. So God's response to them is, who will bring me down to the ground? And in verse, in verse 4, God says, from there, I will bring you down. So the hand of the Lord, as we talked about last time, it goes wherever it pleases. And God will humble the proud. Always. So the Edomites are prideful because they believe their position is impenetrable. Last time we talked about the pride of position. You can have pride 
uh, because of your position at work, because of your position at school, because of your position at church or on some nonprofit board or all sorts of other areas, you can have pride. But we also looked at the pride of knowledge. You know, people read an article and instantly they think they're the foremost expert on that particular subject. So we, we talked about that. Um, listen, initials behind your name don't always mean much. All right, so if you got an MA behind your name, a master's, an MDiv, an MD, you're a doctor, a PhD, um, that doesn't always mean much when it co comes to wisdom and, and it comes to walking in wisdom and knowledge. And look, that's coming from someone who has a few initials behind their name. I've met some pretty foolish and unwise people with master's degrees. And I've met some pretty foolish and unwise people with doctorates. So just having initials behind your name does not guarantee that you are a wise person and will walk in wisdom. And let me just say this, kind of as we get into the Lord's Word this morning. Every sermon, every sermon that you hear, that sermon is primarily for you. It's primarily for you. So this is God's word for you. It's not for your spouse primarily. It's not for the person sitting in front of you primarily. It's not for the person across the room primarily. It's primarily for you. So don't be thinking when you're hearing the, the, the Lord's word like, oh, I hope they're listening. <laughs> no, that means you're not listening, right? Because you're distracted. So you need to focus on receiving the word for you. And guess what? You can't receive it for them. You might want to receive it for them. There's many people that I'd like to receive the word for them, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I wish they'd receive it. And if I could do it for them, I'd receive it. But guess what? I can't. So we have to trust the Lord for God to give them the word and have them receive it when he's ready for them to do that, right? But one thing that we can do is we can receive the word, all right? We personally can receive the word for ourselves, and that's what we need to do. And when we receive it, here's the thing. Your role when you're coming into church, when we're, especially during this time when we're hearing the sermon, is you're an active participant. You're an active listener and you're an active participant. All right? So you can, you can be vocal. But your role is not to be passive. It's not to be a critic. It's not to be a cynic. That doesn't mean to, you know, just kind of like just take everything in. Sure, use discernment as you're hearing the word from anyone, me included, but that's not your primary position that you're supposed to approach when you're hearing the Word. If God's planted you here, you have some level of trust in the pastors here and have some level of trust that what we're saying is, is truth, right? So if you come and, I mean, that, that was, I'll just be honest, it was a challenge for me when I first got, started going to seminary and I started hearing, you know, different people preach, well, then I'm like running it, you know, through the 15 things or 20 things that I just learned last week or whatever, you know? That's not good. That's really pride. That's what it is. So it's not to be a critic. It's not to be a cynic. If that's the approach you take, you will, get lit, you will guarantee yourself to get little from the sermon. It's just because you've put your heart in a position to receive little. Now think about it. Like when your wife serves a meal and, and when the dish comes out, you know, you're hungry, you want the food. I mean, do you sit there and, and critique the food? I hope not, right? If you're wise, you eat the food regardless of what it is, right? 
It's nourishment. It's good for you. Even the healthy food, if you don't like it, you still eat it. Why? Because you know you need it, right? You need, you need all part, parts of that food. Well, guess what? Too many of us approach the Word like we're in a cafeteria food line. And we're like, oh, like, I want that part, and I want that part, and I want that part, and I, but no, that part, no, no, and oh, yeah, that, that's really gross looking. I don't want that. that. That's not right, okay? We're not in the cafeteria line when it comes to God's Word. We don't get to pick and choose. And others of you think of it like the drive through at McDonald's. You know, you want to get your food and, and, and get out of there as quick as possible, all right? No, listen, when you sit at the table of the Lord, it's a seven-course meal. All right? And some of you have never had a seven-course meal. I'm not talking about a seven-course meal at a fine dining establishment. I'm talking about a seven-course meal at God's banquet table. And sometimes what happens is you just satisfy yourself on the salad and the bread. And then you're done. And the, and the rest of the meal and the main course hasn't even come out yet. But there is much more richness in the other food that you're turning down, that you're not even sticking around for. God wants to teach you so much and show you so much, but you have to be there at his banquet table. And you have to be dining there. So take in the word. Take in the full word, the full seven-course meal. Enjoy the meal, right? If you regularly make comments on what you don't like about the food your wife prepares, like you're either recently married or, or you're a fool, okay? Right? But enjoy the meal. I mean, sometimes it's toasted ravioli, sometimes it's spaghetti, sometimes it's steak, sometimes it's frozen pizza, right? <laughs> enjoy the meal, okay? When you listen to God's word, enjoy the meal, whatever is being served that day, all right? Enjoy the meal. So what I say, what I'm saying today, who is it for? Me, correct answer. All right? So what does pride do to you and to me? Well, there's the pride of what I'd say like morality. That's where you have an approach of I'm better. It's really like a self-exaltation. Because pride, as we see here in verse 3, the pride of your heart, what has it done? Deceived you. So pride can deceive us. Perhaps the best-known occurrence is what Eve says. Look at Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? Right? She eats the fruit. What does she say? The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now, there's all sorts of, of different sins going on here that led up to it, <clears throat> but one of them was she thought she knew better than God. Did she get duped? Yep. Paul tells that in Timothy. He confirms it. He confirms it in Corinthians as well, as the serpent beguiled Eve, he said, right? And all of us, what can pride do if we're not careful? It can deceive us. It can deceive us. So she thought, you know, I, I know what's up with the fruit. I know what I'm doing. I know how this works. Did she? No. She bought the lie. 
So one of the things you need to ask yourself is, what might my heart be tricking me to believe? And what might Satan be tricking me or deceiving me to believe? What might my flesh or what might Satan be leading me to falsely believe about friends, about my spouse, about my church, about my family? Because our flesh is always at work, all right? There's a, there's a battle. And guess what? Satan, he's always at work. There's a battle. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to back up a few verses. 1 Corinthians 3.12 Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And then look what he says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Futile. So what is, what is being uh, explained to us here? Like, what happens? Let no one deceive himself. We can end up tricking ourselves to believe things that aren't true about ourselves and about others. Notice what it says. In this position... Let him become a fool, verse 18, that he may become wise. Fools, in this definition, are the ones that enter the kingdom of God. Not the biblical fool of Proverbs, that's a different type of fool. But the one who is willing to humble himself and to realize that everything that the world has to offer and all the wisdom and knowledge is all for naught if you don't know what. What's the beginning of knowledge? True knowledge. The fear of the Lord. That's like the foundation, right? Everything else builds from that. So it deceives you, but it also puffs you up. Look what he says back in Obadiah in verse 3. Who will bring me down to the ground? Man, that is pride upon pride upon pride. Who will bring me down to the ground? Well, guess what? The Lord will, right? The, the Lord will will do how he sees fit, and pride is the exact opposite of the very character and nature of God. Very opposite. Think about uh, King Herod in Acts. Actually, let's, let's turn there and look. We're going to look at a few different passages today, so you can hold your finger in, in Obadiah, or you can find it every single time we go back to it. But Acts chapter 12. This is talking about King Herod. This ain't the King Herod that, uh, that 
the wise men and had to deal with. This is uh, his progeny after him. <clears throat> it says, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, verse 20, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. So they're all shouting, the voice of a God, the voice of a God. And Josephus, Jewish historian, actually writes about this particular incident, and, and I mean, it matches up perfectly, and, and he had some commentary of supposedly of what King Herod said. If you, if, when you understand the backstory, I, even though King Herod was very, this King Herod was very much for the Jews and actually did some things to try to protect them, um, he, he was very much uh, sinful in heart, um, just like most of us walking in the flesh and liked the idea of obtaining to some type of, of a godness, if you will. So this being happened, did he rebuke them? No. We get the judgment that God puts upon him right here in the scripture. We don't have to ask, wow, how did God deal with it? We get it right here. We see how the Lord dealt with this instant of pride. What's the result? The angel of the Lord strikes him down. He deals with it. And here's the thing. God will deal with people however he wants to. Some people will be prideful and prideful and prideful for many years and many years and maybe decades. God will deal with it when he wants to, how he wants to, and the way that he wants to. Okay, God will deal with his people. How many of you have been dealt with by the Lord at various times in your life regarding different failures and sins that you've had in your life? It's all right, y'all should raise your hand. It's okay. It's all right. Good job. <clears throat> yes, all of us, right? All of us. God deals with his people when he wants to. And guess what? Thankfully, in his mercy, he doesn't point it all out at once, right? We'd probably just like fall over dead, all right? And he's still working on me and pointing things out, and I hope and believe and pray that he's still working on you and you're open to it, and he's, and he's pointing things out. My journey is a different journey than yours, is a different journey than yours, is a different journey than yours. What you maybe have had great obedience in and victory in for, you know, 15, 20 years ago, uh, maybe I, he's just getting ready to point that out to me next week, all right? Pray for me, right? But same for you, you know, areas your brother or sister in, that might be like their strength, and they're really good at this particular character. They're very patient, you know, they have great self-control, but, but another brother or sister doesn't, guess what? The, the Lord just hasn't dealt with them on that yet, right? But he's probably dealt with them on some things that he hasn't dealt with you on yet. Why? Because the Lord in his all-lovingness, all-kindness, all-powerfulness, all-knowingness, knows the best time for things for him to point out in our lives that we need to work on. Now, sometimes we, we just have the blinders. I do get that, right? And he's been telling us probably for years on some of that bigger stuff. We've just been ignoring it. But the point is, God in his mercy, he's, he shows that stuff to us at the proper time. And sometimes he calls brothers and sisters to do that, but God is the one who ultimately addresses it, Right? God does it. God deals with people. 
Now, most prideful people don't think they're prideful. But if people have said to you on more than a few occasions things like, you act like you know it all, you think you're better than others, you try to do things on your own and never ask others for help, you put yourself first a lot, well, they're noticing pride. They're noticing pride. And the Lord takes a very low view of pride. Look at Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 16, Proverbs 6. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. What's that first one? The haughty eyes, right? Looking at people with scorn. Thinking you're better. God hates that. Look two chapters over, Proverbs 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. What's the danger in pride? It's all about you. It's all about you. Why is it so damaging? Because it, it puts self first and others second. It elevates yourself and knocks everyone else down. Well, how are we called to walk? We're called to walk in humility. Think of Philippians. We're supposed to consider others better than ourselves and look for what helps them out, for what helps them in their need. Where are they at? So they come before us. We humble ourselves and put the needs of others before our own selfish self. Why is pride so damaging? Because it says, I can do it, I don't need anyone. It says, what I have, I've earned it myself without any help. What does pride lead to? Damage and destruction. Two things we should ask when we're reading the Word. Well, probably more than two, but these are two key things. What do I learn about God in this passage? And what do I learn about man in this passage? Because God is, is reveal, reveals himself through his word, so then the question is, okay, well, what is he revealing about himself in this passage? God also reveals uh, ourselves in the word. It speaks to where we are at. So what do I learn about man, specifically myself, in these verses? So what do we learn about God and man in these verses? One man, he's inclined towards pride. He thinks highly of himself. Guess what? That is us. That is the temptation. What do you think Satan came at uh, Jesus with in the wilderness? One of the things he came after him with? Pride. That's what he offered, pride. That's our temptation. Listen to Genesis 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's God's commentary, right? That's his statement. Has anything changed? 
I mean, is this not still true? The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. You think it's gotten any better since the days of Noah? No. So that's what we learn about man. He's inclined towards pride. He's full of wickedness. What should that lead us to do? Seek a Savior. Seek someone who can deal with it. Turn to Jesus in repentance and trust and cry out for his help to help us out. Well, what do we learn about God? That he's all-powerful. He will do whatever he pleases. When he gives a word, brothers and sisters, guess what? He will fulfill it. All the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 1, all right? So he's all-powerful. He does what he pleases. He hates pride. He deals with it. And here's God's commitment, commitment to the Edomites in verse 4 back in Obadiah. He says, from there, I will bring you down. Think about what God did with King Hezekiah. If you remember the story in 2 Kings, the emissary for Babylon show up, right? And, and King Hezekiah is like, oh, let me, let me show you all my storehouses of wealth, right? Let me give you the grand tour of everything, and let me show you how amazing and awesome I've made this city and how much money I've got and how great I am. I mean, if you read the story, it doesn't at first read that way, but the pronouncement by the Lord makes it clear that King Hezekiah was proud. He was proud of what he had. And what is the judgment that God gives? It's going to be taken all away. The very people you showed it to are going to be the very ones that take it away from you because of your pride. Man, pride has serious consequences, brothers and sisters. So we have like a pride of morality of I'm better. You see someone's attire, what they're wearing, and you think, man, what's that? I would never wear that. You see someone's vehicle. You see someone's home. And you think you're better. You think you dress better. You think you drive a nicer vehicle. You think you have a nicer home. Like you're, you're scorning them. You're looking down on some. And, 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 and shame on us if we're especially doing that to a brother or sister. But we're doing it to, to people that Christ died for. The Pharisees, they thought they were better, right? I mean, Jesus is like constantly railing on them and they deserved every single word. And think of the parable, right? That the Pharisee comes in and he's like, Lord, uh, thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. And, and what happens? The sinner in the parable is like, Lord, just have mercy on me. I know I'm messing up. And what's Jesus' point? Hey, which one goes home justified, right? The one who had the religious appearance and had the external or the one who had the internal, right? It starts with the internal and then works out to the external, Many people just have the shell, but they don't have what's in it, right? You got the appearance of religiosity, but they're missing the kernel of truth on the inside. You got to have the kernel. So what does humility say? I need help. I can't do it on my own. And listen, Proverbs 12 says that the way of a fool, this is the biblical fool now, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. You know, God gives us counselors for a reason, sometimes to knock down our pride, 
One of my favorite verses, this is important, all y'all should underline it, in Proverbs eleven fourteen, it says, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, what? There is safety. Some versions, I think, says there's wisdom. One of my favorite stories, I've told it before, I'll tell it again, but Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest minds America has ever produced, even secular historians acknowledge that. Um, great biography, uh, Pastor Vaughn wrote actually two great books on him. Whenever he had to make a decision of, of, of like serious consequence, he'd go to his counselors and he'd submit that unto them. And if they weren't on board with it, then he wouldn't do it. The greatest mind America ever produced, Jonathan Edwards, realized that his flesh could get in the way, realized that he could be duped and deceived by his flesh and by Satan and knew this verse to be true. There is safety in abundance of counselors. So he would submit himself unto them. What a true act of humility, right? I love the story of, of Booker T. Washington. He was the renowned black educator, lived in the late 19th century. He was a truly, truly humble man. Uh, he took over the presidency of the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, and he was walking in an in a upper-class part of town <clears throat> when he was stopped by a, a wealthy white woman. And she didn't know and recognized that it was the famous Mr. Washington. And so she asked if he'd like to earn a few dollars chopping wood. And so he wasn't pressed for business on that particular day. So he smiles, he rolls up his sleeves, he chops the wood, he stacks it in her house for her. And as he's going out, this young girl uh, recognizes him and, and later tells this wealthy rich lady that that was uh, Booker T. Washington. So the next day she comes into the institute all embarrassed <clears throat> and, and apologizes profusely. And his response was, it's perfectly all right, madam. Occasionally, I enjoy a little manual labor. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. And she shook his hand warmly and assured him that his meek and gracious attitude had endeared him and his work to her heart. And not long after, she persuaded a number of wealthy acquaintances to join her in giving large sums of money to the Institute. All because of his humility. Think of Jesus' words in Matthew 20, 23. All who exalt themselves will be what? Humbled. And all who humble themselves will be exalted. I was talking with my friend <clears throat> on the phone this past week. Well, one of my friends. I have more than one. Um, but I was talking to my friend on the phone this past week, and he was telling me that he, had a, he, he is a, kind of oversees a, and helps with a nonprofit organization and he was telling me that he had his leadership team together and the topic of COVID came up and he's like I eat COVID for breakfast guess what happened the next week he got COVID <laughs> flat on his back one of his leadership team members texted him was, was like did you have a little too much for breakfast <laughs> <laughs> so God God was humbling him Right? He realized it. That's what he was telling me. I was like, hey, this is like a great sermon illustration. Can I, can I use it, please? <laughs> <clears throat> I 
We want to walk in humility, not in pride before the Lord, right? Right? Pride says, I don't deserve this. We get into situations where I don't deserve this. Listen, whatever God brings into our path, that's what he sees fit to bring into our path. Right? Right? And then we take it and we walk in humility before him. We might not like it, but if he is the sovereign Lord, he will walk with us every step of the way, regardless of how painful it is. And pride says, I can do this on my own. I don't need your help. But guess what? God's word says we all need help. We need lots of help. So much so that God sent his own son for us because we needed so much help. We couldn't do it on our own. Pride says, I can do it on my own. God says, you can't do it on your own. Stop trying. You've messed up. So he sends his son on a rescue mission to redeem us, a people for his own. Pride says, forget you all. I don't need you. Well, God's word says you need others. You need the fellowship of brothers and sisters. You need friendships, godly friendships that can uh, encourage you, that can call you uh, up when, you, when they know you're hurting. You can call them up when you're hurting. They're going to stand with you. They're going to walk with you. They're going to be with you. Pride says, I've got this. But God's word says, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't have this. God has it. That's the only one who has it. And pride says, I'm fine, but God's word, again, says, you're not fine. You need me, is what the Lord says. And the whole, it's, you know, the whole, it's, it's just me and Jesus, um, that just, like, reeks of pride. Because you're basically saying, like, forget everybody else. Now, you, you, you need Jesus first and foremost, all right? All of us. But you, but you also need the body of Christ. Yes. You need brothers and sisters to walk yes. this journey with you. Right? Guess what happens? That people have that attitude, it's just me and Jesus. Man, they end up falling away from the fire, and their little log burning, it grows cold. All right? We need each other. I'm encouraged seeing what some of you all go through on the high points and the low points that you're still pressing through. Guess what that does for me? It encourages me to keep pressing through. You're being an example to tens and tens, maybe uh, over 100 people potentially. They're seeing what you're going through. They're seeing how you're walking in righteousness through it, and that encourages them. They might not ever come up to you and tell you that specifically, but they're encouraged by it. And that encourages others to keep walking the walk with Jesus. So we got to get rid of all pride. It reminds me of the guy who was asked, are you conceited? He said, no, but I have every right to be. <laughs> think, of, think of creation for a moment. Who? God creates the angels, right? And there's different hierarchies and cherubim and seraphim, right? But like who was right there at the top of the angels? Satan, right? Right? And so Isaiah, if you turn there, because I want you to read this.
Many theologians believe this is talking about Satan and his fall in Isaiah 14. Verse 12, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Listen, brothers and sisters, if Satan himself, before he fell, was in the presence of God and could succumb to pride, how much more so us? How much more so us? Look at all the I statements. I will ascend to heaven, verse 13. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on... I mean, it's all about him, right? All about him. That's what pride is. You want what's not yours. He thought he was better. He thought he was greater. He thought he was the end-all, be-all. What did God do? Cast him out. We need to remember who we are in Christ. We need to remember what God has done for us through his son. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 25, 1 Corinthians 1. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. That's what Paul talks about later. That's what he's talking about being foolish, right? He's, he's, he's referencing back to the two chapters earlier, 1 Corinthians 1. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So, I mean, we're talking about being a fool. We're talking about being a fool for Christ, right? We're going to have foolishness. Let's, let's let it be the foolishness of God. It's wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. And then here it goes. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So God is using us in all our broken states, and, he, and sometimes he, he reminds us of our brokenness. And so we have to realize, like, I mean, you know, I like watching you know, sports, and i got my different favorite sports I like to watch, and it's like, I mean, the, some of those athletes do things, and you're just, it just, it's like we could never, 99.9% of people could never do some of those things that they do, you know? And then we like to sit there in our little armchair and criticize them for swinging at that ball, right? <clears throat> I was doing that last night. I could never hit the ball, all right? But I can criticize them for not hitting it. <clears throat> but they're like these, you know, major, major athletes. But here's the thing. Have they taken something that was already given to them and simply refined it? Yes. They have been gifted by the Lord in an amazing way to have an athletic ability 
and they've taken it and they refined it and honed it. But some people have taken what they have and have wanted to be, you know, like every, every little boy, right, wants to be like a pro, some type of athlete. They can practice 40 hours a week. They're not going to be a pro athlete. Why? Because at the end of the day, it just boils down to God didn't give them the athleticism required to reach that level. Now, sometimes that can be a hard pill to swallow because that applies in other areas. But here's what God wants us to do. He wants us to hone however much that he gives us and use it for his glory. Whether it's athletics or intelligence, any category whatsoever, he wants us to take it. It's the parable of the talents, right? Some have one, some have three, some have five, right? Right? So if you got one, great. You've got one. Man, be thankful for the one right? Like God's blessed you with one. And then what happens? You start looking at the three and the five. No, you got the one. That's what God wants you to use for his glory. God is more glorified by the person using the one, right, and doubling that than the person using the three, and he only gets one more from it. Like, if you're taking and doing everything you can with the giftings and the blessings that God has given you, he is most glorified. That's the truth. If you've got three, and you're just like, oh, I'll just I'll just do the C average and just kind of coast along. That's really not glorifying to the Lord. I mean, and you can coast because you got the three. And you can really coast if you got the five sometimes. That's not glorifying to the Lord. And there's pride in that. Because you're like, well, I can just do it on my own. I, can, I look at this, I can just coast along with my five. And that little one down there, he's struggling so much. No, that's pride. Looking down on others. So whatever talent you've been given, however many you got, the Lord wants to take, take it and have you shape it and mold it however he sees fit. You refine it, you hone it to the best of your ability, you trust the Lord that he's going to use it how he sees fit. Some of the, the you know, I was, at, <clears throat> I was at this outreach years ago and uh, I was hearing the, the sermon slash invitation being given and I was like, this thing isn't very impressive. That's probably pride. <laughs> I was like, I mean, it's like, you know, it wasn't too bad, but I was like, and guess what? Like thousands of people got saved. Why? Because at the end of the day, it's really not up to us. It's about us being willing to use whatever little talent we've been given. That gentleman speaking had honed and refined whatever talent God had given them to the best of his ability, and God was like, I bless that. And he blessed it, and he blessed it, and he blessed it, left and right. If you're doing that, God will bless it. He will bless it. That's why we get this, you know, like math in the Bible, it really doesn't make sense. You know, you plant one thing and you get a crop of 30, 60, or 100, right? But Jesus is, is talking about, like, not physical crops. He's talking about spiritual. Well, that, do, that doesn't make sense. How can one person have a 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold increase? Well, on our own, we can't. But with the Holy Spirit involved, the multiplication just doesn't always add up. But there it is. There it is. Because the Lord does what he wants. He's all-powerful. He can do it and make the math work in a way we just can't even possibly imagine. Thousands get saved from a simple message. Why? The Holy Spirit decides to anoint it. So, in conclusion, when we come to pride, we need to cast it off. We need to throw it off. Brothers and sisters, we need to repent of it. We need to beg God to remove it from our heart. If we're honest, 
All of us have some measure, of, uh, some level of it, some measure, some level in our own hearts of it. One of those areas that we've hit on. We need to repent of that, ask God to remove it. You know, boil it up to the surface, Lord. Turn up the, the flames a little bit, bring it up to the surface and skim it away. Skim that sin away from me. It takes up residence. Pride does. It takes up residence. It unpacks all its belongings throughout your entire heart. It's infectious. We've got to root it out by the grace of God. One last verse, 1 Peter 5. First Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. What did it say? Clothe yourselves with what? Humility. humility. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So we want to humble ourselves. We want to clothe ourselves with humility, and we want to humble ourselves. What does God do at the proper time? He'll do his work. So humble. We need to walk in humility before him. Got to cast off the pride. We got to take on the humility. Get rid of the works of the enemy. Put on the works of God. Get rid of the weeds of the devil and take on the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Let's walk in that. Amen. Lord, thank you that it's your work that you do. It's your fruit of your Spirit working in us. And so I pray for all of us here that you would root out all pride, have us cast it out, cast it down, bring it up to the top of our heart and skim it away, Lord. May we repent of it now. May we walk in truth and wholeness before you, Lord, not scorning others, not looking down on them, not being prideful of our position, prideful of knowledge, prideful of anything, Lord, at all, prideful of how we live or how we don't live. But realize everything that we have and everything we are comes from your good and gracious hand. Thank you that you've done a work in us, Father. Continue doing that work, making us and conforming us to the image of your Son, Jesus. Amen.